Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Well, hello there, O'Toole. We have a big week. Hollister, how's it going? It's going really well. But this week, I am so excited to announce a new segment to our podcast each week. And we're going to call it um, our hashtag list of six series. And it will be a list of six films or television shows that O'Toole and I select of our favorites around a specific topic. And Hollister, you came up with this. This was one of your many oh, good I hate ideas. I you do that. That's your way of saying I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> this is giving credit where credit is due. Uh-huh. So we just think the list of six, hashtag list of six, will be fun to do. So we're going to try and start with this week. The first in the series is going to be our list of six books that should be made into movies. Okay, you ready? Awesome. Okay, okay Hollister, well, you want to go, go first? I think you should go first. It was your idea. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. My first one, it's like, this is like, I'm right out of politics or something. My first totally reeks of nepotism. So I just want to say that right, right out of the gate. It's I'm a, so on the edge of my seat. I know, okay. I know, I know, I know. This is so not the way to start off this series. Is it a but, book that you wrote, Hollister? No. It's a book that's being released in January that had a bidding war, actually, if you can imagine, with publishing houses turning everything away these days. It's my friend Abby Fabiacci. That's a fabulous name. I know. It's a good name, right? Tell me that she goes by Ab Fab. She doesn't. But anyway, um, it's titled I Liked My Life, and it's coming out on January 31st by St. Martin's Press. And it's really this poignant and fresh look at the, at the sacrifices of motherhood and the nuances of mourning between a hormonal teen and a powerful alpha, alpha male father after the mom takes her life. And um, I know it's going to be optioned and probably will go into some sort of bidding war like the book did, but you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And I think it's a great book and I think it's going to be a great movie. Okay, that's mine. What, what's your first? Wow. Okay. So my first one is actually celebrating its 25th anniversary of being in publication this year. So it was written 25 years ago. It's called The Year of Impossible Goodbyes huh. by Suk Nyul Choi. And this story I found so fascinating. It's a real life story about a 10-year-old girl in 1945 in North Korea, and her family survives the 35-year Japanese occupation of Korea, only to have the Russians come in. So her family has to flee to South Korea, and this 10-year-old protagonist rescues herself and her brother. The writing is so visual. I think it is just a natural fit for a Steven Spielberg big cinematic movie. Oh, there you go. My second book is The Red Tent. Did you read it? I did read it by okay. Anita Diamant. Yes. And, it, you know, it's it's the 20-year anniversary of it, and I don't understand why it never got optioned. And so then I figured it probably got optioned and sitting on a shelf somewhere. I'm assuming you didn't see the TV miniseries? that came out a couple years ago, starring Minnie Driver. For thousands of years, I have been lost. My tale begins with the red tent. Okay, well, I still get to put it in there as a, as a narrative. Like, yes, you okay. do. It's your list, okay, your rules. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Yes. All right, what's your next <laughs> okay. one? All right, my next one is a book I thoroughly loved called Eleanor and Park by huh. Rainbow Rowell. And one of the most amazing things about this is Rainbow Rowell is her real name. Everyone assumes it's a pen name, but that is her birth name that her parents gave her, a writer from Nebraska. She's meant to be a writer. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. 
The dialogue, I thought, was so original and so fresh. This is the way the New York Times book review put it. Eleanor and Park reminded me not just what it's like to be young and in love, but also what it's like to be young and in love with a book. Cool. Very cool. This has already been optioned, I just heard, so I'm very excited. I don't know if, you, I don't know if that counts, but okay. Yours was already made into a TV miniseries. <laughs> okay, but it wasn't a movie. Okay, fine, whatever. What's okay. the difference nowadays? <laughs> exactly. Okay, you can do yeah. whatever you want to, just like I can. Okay. So my third and last choice for um, for our list of six is Anne of Green Gables, which was done in a great miniseries out of, um, I think it was BBC who did it, but you can't buy it, you can't watch it anywhere, it's nowhere. I've looked for it numerous times. I think it's such a great story, and come on, there's Pollyanna, who was also an orphan, and orphan stories do very well at the movies. Annie... So um, I think they should bring Anne of Green Gables to a two-hour film. I do. You know, Hollister, this is one of the many things I love about you, that you can <laughs> love Pollyanna and Anne of Green Gables and Silence of the Lambs. I know, Silence you, of the you Lambs. You do. You have range. You well, really do. Well, and also do. one of my, my second favorite film is The Bodyguard, and we're going to talk about that later today. The Bodyguard's coming up today also. I might be losing some of my <laughs> love right here. But <laughs> okay, so what's your third? What's your third and final choice? This is a book that I absolutely loved called Defending Jacob. Did you read it? I think I did, but I can't remember it. It was written by William Landay, who was a prosecutor here in Boston. It's a legal thriller. And the tagline was, I believe, how far would you go to defend your own child? And the book kept me on the edge of my seat until the last page. I did not know how it was going to end. You don't know who's guilty and who's not until the very final page. And imagine if you had a child who's accused of murder. Huh. Doubt, um, well, by the you know, way, that is going to seep was, in. I, I don't know that it's not the same movie, but there was a movie done where somebody protects their guilty child. I can't remember. It was Are you thinking ago. of the one with Tilda Swinton? I think so, yeah. Exactly. Yep. 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 So, I think that's yeah, a great similar. idea, by the way. Those, those movies will always do well. They really do. So um, that's our first attempt at our hashtag uh, list of six. And so also when we put this up, and we'll be putting it up on social media. Let us know what books you think should be optioned, too. And now we're going to move right along, right? All right. All right. Well, this week we started watching a series called Orphan Black. And who was it, O'Toole, that told us to do that? Somebody online told us to. And the Emmy goes to? It was really the Emmys. This is the first Emmy win and second consecutive nomination in this category for Tatiana Maslany. It's already heading into its fifth season, and I think this qualifies as I'm coming a little late to the party, <laughs> but I finally got here, and I'm so glad I did. And in my defense, <laughs> when this show first launched, there were a couple others that to me sounded so similar, I think I got them confused. There was Orpheus, there was Black Mirror, there was Orange is the New Black, there was Orphan Black. Well, there, it's a lot of black around, It just you know? snuck right exactly. by me, yes. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm, we found it. Who cares when? By the way, you can see it on Amazon Prime. You can also buy it on iTunes, but it's available Amazon Prime for free. And I only watched the first episode. I only had time to watch the first episode. And I, I love it. I love her. I love her foster brother. I love the suspense and discovering along with her who this person is that she's taken the identity of who looked just like her. It's such a great premise. Something really weird just happened at the train station. What? I saw a girl kill herself. Ew. 
Yeah, and she looked exactly like me. I've got to go up to a flat. She's got $75,000 in the savings account. I have an idea. Sarah, any second, someone's going to ID the body and it's game over. The premise is incredible. And when you think about just taking on the mantle of someone else's life, you know, at first it seems so appealing. It does, doesn't it? (laughs) It was so full of twists and turns where she had no idea. I'm not going to even give it away. For those who haven't watched it. We don't do that. um, Just go see it. I loved when Tatiana Maslany won the Emmy. You know how they always say, okay, she won for lead actress in a drama series for playing the role of... And in her case, they had to say for playing the role of Sarah slash Allison slash Cosima slash <laughs> Helena slash Rachel slash MK slash. I mean, the list just went on and on and on. Do you even know who you're talking to? How many of us are there? But she takes on all these different parts with different accents, different looks, different mannerisms. She really deserved that Emmy. Exactly. And it was funny because when you suggested that we do this, I got so excited because I watched the first five minutes of it after you first suggested, and then I had to put it away and come back later. But I'd been looking for another series to love, like a Grey's Anatomy or the West Wing or some of the you know things that have meant so much to me. And I've had trouble finding it. I think this could be it. I am very excited to catch up to the fifth season. And Hollister... Here's a little bit of trivia, because this was a very minor role, but Tatiana Maslany appeared in a movie. It was one of our earlier podcasts, and she played the younger version of someone. Who? It was playing the younger version of Helen Mirren in Woman in Gold. Oh, did she? Oh, my gosh. Do you remember she played the young Maria Altman? Wonderful. Mm -hmm. She was beautiful in it. Fabulous role. Yeah. very different role. Hmm. So we highly recommend it. Both of us are very excited about it. Thank you so much. I I feel so lucky to be on a show that puts women at the center. Thank you so much to the Academy. Thank you. And now we're going to move on. And what we did was we split up. We were like two parents at open house and we had more than one kid where you went to Christine and I saw Denial. Then I went and looked at the preview of Christine, and I realized that it was the story that we mentioned in an earlier podcast, and also that it was extremely depressing. You know, when I asked if you wanted to go see this movie, I was so sure your your response was going to be, just shoot me. <laughs> I know that that pun is in very poor taste. It is based on the 1970s story of the TV reporter Christine Chubbuck, who you referenced in our podcast about network. <laughs> And now, let's kick it over to Christine Chubbuck. Thank you, George. In keeping with the WZRB policy, complete reports of local blood and guts, TV30 presents what is believed to be a television first. Hollister, I think this was all part of my program for self-improvement to overcome my fear of the 70s, but I don't think it helped. Boy, is this a depressing story. And you can't even comfort yourself with the fact that it's just a story because it is based on yeah, real events. Yeah. Well, even the preview was tough to take, I thought. Mm-hmm. But she seemed to really play the role. I mean, look, those sometimes those are the most difficult roles to play, and she seemed to do a really good job, did she? Rebecca Hall was very good in this, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if she were nominated. I loved her in the Woody Allen film, Vicky Christina Barcelona, where she played Vicky. 
And she was also in The Town. Oh, I Playing Ben Affleck's in love interest. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say Christine reminded me a lot of Homeland, where she's a Claire Danes-like figure. And Tracy Letts once again makes an appearance. So this is this is probably the fourth thing now that we've referenced where Tracy Letts is in it. Last week we talked about divorce. He was in Indignation, the Philip Roth adaptation. He was in Elvis and Nixon. Here he plays her boss. Kind of like Mandy Patinkin is Claire Danes' boss in Homeland. But instead of working for the CIA, she's a local TV reporter, and it takes place in the 70s. But it's a very similar tone of a troubled person who's very dedicated to her job. But Mandy Patinkin loves Claire Danes. And from what I saw of the preview, this guy is not emotionally connected to her or didn't appear to be in the... In the uh, in the two in the two minute uh, piece that I saw, is that true? That is true. And yet, when you see the full length movie, mm-hmm. you realize that she's very hard on him. She is not an easy employee. And I was a little surprised she actually still had a job and oh. hadn't that she had been hired in the first place and not fired. She's extremely socially awkward. Christine, this isn't the start of one of your moods, is it? Have you seen the flowers? They're fake! Sums up the whole operation! Christine, go home! Unlike Claire Danes, where you think she is so good at her job, I'm not sure she was really connecting so well with the people she was interviewing on TV. Yeah. So should I see it? I, I, I mean, what's your... Tell me. If you think that you have just become oversaturated with your Anne of Green Gables and Pollyanna and you just need a dose <laughs> oh, of you're dark, such a bitch. <laughs> then, you know, maybe... <laughs> The ending is brilliant, but the whole thing is, it's very dystopian. These people are ruining me. These people? Why why are you up to listen to me? One thing, though, that it did make me very grateful for, this is my Pollyanna lesson that I learned from you. I I should say what I'm glad for. What is it? Okay. You know, when you see these things that take place in the 70s, the graphics that everyone's raving about on TV that look so basic to us today. They look elementary. When I see them, I just, the only word that comes to my mind is elementary, you know? Thank you. And, you know, when I look at the film equipment that these reporters had to lug around to record the news and then edit the film technology. Thank you to Apple and to Final Cut and to all these products that have made film editing and shooting so much easier. Well, also, can I just say it makes it funner? I mean, there's just so many more opportunities around doing things, you know? Mm -hmm. This, just to sum it up, I've been thinking a lot about one of the comments we got from one of our listeners, Christy in Hawaii. She said something on our Facebook page that really had me thinking. We reviewed something, and she said, thanks for reviewing because she knew from our review that she wouldn't want to watch it after listening to our review. She goes, even if it's done well, and this is what Christy had to say, quote, as I no longer wish to spend my viewing time on too much sadness, darkness, or downness, I loved that downness, I've learned that I need to be more picky because life is short. And Christy in Hawaii, I got to tell you, I was thinking of you the entire time I was watching Christine. It's funny you say that because right now, you know, we're all we're coming to the end of a political time in America that's been very difficult. And they're saying that people are extremely depressed and they don't want bad news and they don't want to watch bad things anymore because we've all had such a year of saturated sadness and, uh, you know, attacks on each other. And I totally know what she means. 
And it's mm-hmm. funny because now this perf- is a perfect segue to transition into what I saw, which is also based on fact, and it was denial. Rachel Weiss has had a very busy year. It is my pleasure to introduce Professor Deborah Lipstadt. Whatever the reasons that people become deniers, they often have an agenda which they won't admit to. Why do you continually denigrate the work of David Irving? You can have opinions about the Holocaust, but I won't meet with anyone who says the Holocaust didn't happen. Professor Lipstadt, I am that David Irving. And I've got a thousand dollars to give anyone who can show me a document that proves the Holocaust. I will not debate you, not here, not now, not because ever. Because you've Well. Rachel Weiss plays Deborah Lipstadt, who's a Holocaust historian who was sued by David Irving, who was a Holocaust denier, for saying he was a lying, cheating jerk, which of course he was, and she did say so. Um, so that's what what the movie is about, and it's a true story. Um, but the person who just takes it over, oh my God, O'Toole, it's Tom Wilkinson who delivers what I consider an Academy Award performance. He has 124 acting credits in IMDb, which I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody who has that many. And That is a lot. I know, and he is... He just is brilliant in this role. This role was made for him. Now, he was nominated for Michael Clayton. Do you remember that in 2007? Yes, I do. He was excellent in that movie. I'm not sure I understood the plot of that movie, but he was excellent. Also based on a true story, though. And then he was also nominated for In the Bedroom in 2001. But this, I think he's going to win. I think he's going to take the award home, and I think he's going to get the award. And it does have national distribution, this movie, Denial. And it's a little bit... It's a little tedious, especially a little bit at the beginning. Um, and Rachel Weiss has, she does a Bronx or Queens or I don't know exactly what kind of New York accent it is. And she does it consistently through the whole thing, unlike your girl, I might point out. Okay, my girl, again, I know you're referencing Emily Blood and the I girl am. on the train. And yes. I stand by that performance, but I'm okay. glad to hear that about Rachel Weiss because remember how we said, wow, she did not sound very Australian to us with our untrained Australian ears in the light between oceans. Yeah. Yeah, she's, Whereas Kate Winslet, I thought, sounded much more Australian in The she's Dressmaker. She's very, very good in it, but the person who takes over center stage as Tom Wilkinson. Actually, everybody in it is, you know, their, their, their visuals for these characters are awesome. And, but also, um, he was also in Selma. He was in Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. and Both of which we reviewed. I know. Yeah. And I think he's like, the, the older he gets, the stronger he gets as an actor. You know, he won the Golden Globe for his portrayal of Benjamin Franklin in the John Adams series. Do you remember that? Which I thought was one of, you know, one of the best series that's ever come out. Based uh, on a wonderful book oh, by David McCullough. Exactly. Amazing. I loved that yeah. book. So now another little tidbit, I do recommend everybody goes and sees this. Another little tidbit is that all the dialogue in the courtroom scenes was taken verbatim from the actual courtroom transcripts. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, but can I just say it's, if somebody, they they should win for best script because 
It's brilliant. And if that's the way the courtroom was, I can understand why for six weeks people were standing room only to try to get in. It was, you know, it was really amazing. I just got to say, as somebody who has been in the courtroom during trials, I can't imagine the transcript of any of those trials being riveting. I'm telling you, the movie material. The best part of the movie is what happens inside the courtroom and it's verbatim from, from the court record. So, but here's the kicker. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, so it was directed by Mick Jackson, and he also directed my second favorite movie of all time, which is The Bodyguard. Oh, no. It's The Bodyguard. Oh, no, here we go. It's The Bodyguard. (laughs) These are two very different movies. I love The Bodyguard because for me, I'm a woman who's in charge a lot in my life of a lot of people and a lot of things, and I'm also that alpha girl that could drive everybody crazy, you know, telling the <laughs> the cab driver exactly which way to go, et cetera. But in The Bodyguard, what I loved was here's this guy who is just going to follow you around all day and all night wherever you go and make sure that nothing bad happens to you. So you don't even have to look when you're crossing the street, you know. To me, that was the, the, you know, he didn't have to speak. Just the fact that he was there making sure nothing bad happened to her made me want to watch the whole thing. To me, that sounds a little bit like the serial killer stalker <laughs> and Luther. I, I get it. I totally get that I'm <laughs> totally out to lunch. But I love The Bodyguard, but the movies are so very different. And obviously, The Bodyguard was 25 years ago. You know, it was a long, long time. So Mick Jackson hasn't been seen in very many things, but he is the director of this movie. So... I, I think people should see it. And I also think it's the kind of movie, by the way, that classrooms should go to because it sparks discussion afterward. I went actually by myself, but I almost wished I'd been with somebody where you could discuss it afterward because there are a lot of nuances to discuss, you know, around points of view and, you know, freedom of speech and the English uh, legal system versus ours where, you know, here you're innocent until you're proven guilty there you have the obligation of proving your innocence. And that's a big difference in the systems and much harder on the person who's, mm-hmm. uh, who's attacked. So uh, it's a really good movie, and I, I highly recommend it. You know, a verdict they have in Scotland that I always just found interesting is they have a third one that's not proven. Oh. You're let off scot-free, so to speak, but they're basically making a point that you're being hmm. let off just because they couldn't prove it. Okay, well, I'm going to use that with you uh, in our future podcast. I'm just- <laughs> Okay, I'm going to say she's guilty, but not proven. She's guilty of being wrong against my point of view, but not proven. So do you know who I saw this week? Who? The Brazilian actress oh, Sonia Braga. Yes. yes, she came to do a Q&A at a screening of Aquarius. And one of our listeners from Brazil was giving us a little bit of insight around the whole brouhaha around this film because it has set off just this fiery controversy in Brazil. Sonia Braga, she was in Kiss of the Spider Woman, which made her the first Brazilian actress to ever be nominated for a Golden Globe Award Hmm. and the first Brazilian actor to receive an Emmy nomination. She was also in the Milagro Beanfield War. I remember. I didn't see that, but yeah. Directed by Robert Redford. They dated for years. But 
of course, the role that I know her best from is as, do you remember she was Samantha's girlfriend on Sex and the City? Yeah, well, yeah, of course, yeah. And she was so grateful to the director of Aquarius. She said he gave her her mother tongue back because she had not acted in Brazil for over 20 years. This movie was considered a triumph at the Cannes Film Festival. And yet the new Brazilian government said that they would refuse to consider Aquarius when submitting their choice for best foreign language film on behalf of Brazil. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. Sonia Braga said they disbanded the Ministry of Culture, (laughs) but they, after there was so much protest about that, they brought back the ministry and the minister. But there were a couple directors who withdrew their films for consideration Hmm. for the Oscars, um, just out of support. Well, we did a lot of viewing this week for everybody. (laughs) You have to admit, a lot of viewing pleasure here and a lot of films and television. And there's so much happening and a lot of films coming out. It's always the time of year that we're just starting into with the Academy Awards. So, uh, So send us any ideas that you want us to go out and look at, for sure. Yes, we love to hear from you all. So contact us either via email, screenthoughts at gmail.com, or over our website, screenthoughts.net. Talk to you soon. 